This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. Yo, it is Q&A time. Let's go ahead and get right into the questions. We have a lot today. All right, so first question, benefits of hex bar or trap bar deadlifts versus straight bar, pros and cons of both. All right, so generally for online clients, I like to program a hex bar deadlift or a trap bar deadlift a lot more so than any straight bar deadlift variation, basically conventional deadlifts or sumo deadlifts. For most people, it just makes more sense. First and foremost, the trap bar deadlift is just going to be safer for most people's back. So whereas with a conventional deadlift or even a sumo deadlift, now a sumo deadlift allows you to be more upright. Um, and I actually here I'm thinking he's talking about just straight bar deadlifts. So we'll just like a conventional straight bar deadlift, excuse me. So we'll just compare and contrast this versus a trap bar de- deadlift. A trap bar deadlift is going to allow you to stay more upright. And whereas the load, it's an anterior load when we're doing a conventional straight bar deadlift. Um, the trap bar deadlift is basically because you stand in the middle of the bar, the loading is more, it's essentially straight through your body. So if we look at like anytime we're lifting a heavy ass weight, um, we always want the load to basically be in alignment with our center of mass. So or excuse me, center of gravity, not center of mass. But basically what this accounts to is like anytime we're doing a heavy pressing pattern, like a barbell overhead press, um, anytime we're doing a back squat, essentially the bar stays in alignment with the arches of our feet. That's just the position it has to be in for us to move the heaviest load as efficiently as possible. So if you imagine like us trying to do a barbell deadlift, holding the bar way out in front of us, like a foot in front of our feet, we couldn't do that. That would basically just be a front delt movement, right? So the bar has to stay in alignment or the load has to stay in alignment with our center of gravity. So with a barbell deadlift where our shins somewhat get in the way, This means we typically have to hinge back further and have a more horizontal torso angle, which typically is going to put less stress on our lower back. Um, Whereas a trap bar is going to, again, because we are inside of the trap bar, we can position that to the position where it's already the load is aligned with our center of mass without it really pulling us forward like happens in a barbell deadlift. So for most people, this in itself, and this is typically why I'll program the hex bar deadlift for or trap bar deadlift for most clients, because it's going to be a bit safer for most people's backs. It also allows you to recruit a lot more quad than a um, barbell deadlift does, which for athletes is often... <laughs> often makes more sense. So if we're looking at like force production, it makes sense to program again, a trap bar deadlift instead of like a conventional barbell deadlift, which is why you see so many athletes doing um, a trap bar deadlift. And you very rarely see like professional football players training heavy barbell deadlifts. Again, from a force production perspective, it makes sense for us to have like this more balanced approach as opposed to what we get with a conventional deadlift. 
Now, from hypertrophy perspective again, just because it is safer to um, push a trap bar deadlift a little bit further because of the position it puts you in, I would argue that for hypertrophy, a trap bar deadlift is likely more effective as well. When we look at, a, and I talked about this on Wednesday's podcast as well, when we look at like a traditional deadlift from the floor for building muscle, it's not really that effective because one, there is really no eccentric component to the lift. So the eccentric, the lowering phase is a big piece of building muscle, right? With a conventional deadlift, there isn't much eccentric. That said, for a trap bar deadlift, usually how people go about the lift, there's not that much eccentric either. And really for like, I would choose, if we're trying to like build great glutes and hamstrings, um, I would choose a, I would choose like a Romanian deadlift over either. But from a quad perspective, because either isn't going to be a great option for like for strength goes either can be a good option again i would argue that for most people for strength the trap bar deadlift is going to be better because you're going to be able to load it up heavy more safely you're going to be able to be explosive more safely for most people um for quads we can often turn a trap bar into like more of a squat dominant variation where it does make a lot of sense and often you'll see people train like a heels elevated trap bar squat which is a great movement for quad hypertrophy. So it has some applications there as well. Whereas the barbell deadlift, honestly, just not that many people. Now, this isn't isn't at all me saying that you should barbell deadlift, but a lot of people just aren't set up to do it effectively. And like from an application perspective, if you're not training for a powerlifting meet or don't have any certain attachment to being able to straight bar deadlift a lot of weight conventionally, generally for most people just a trap bar makes more sense we can load it heavier we can build more strength more safely with it um it's more customizable to your specific anatomy your injury we have the high handles and the low handles and again it's just typically safer for most people so varying the two honestly i think most of the time a trap bar deadlift makes more sense um yeah that's my take on it we also had what's the difference between a split squat and a lunge. So, um, honestly, they are very similar movement patterns. If we look at like a split squat by definition, I'm not sure if she was talking about a Bulgarian split squat here, which is where we have the heel elevated. So therefore you're going to have a greater range of motion. A traditional split squat, basically we're just standing in the split stance. So whereas a lunge, a split squat is a closed change movement closed chain movement, excuse me, because both feet are staying in the same position is basically a static movement or it's a static exercise. We're dropping the back knee to the ground and rising it back up by pushing through the front heel primarily, but neither feet leave the floor. So if you're someone that has like achy knees, for example, you traditionally have knee issues or you just don't have that great of stability yet. A traditional split squat like this would make more sense. Whereas I typically would see like a lunge, like let's use a forward walking lunge, for example, which is an open chain movement because our feet are leaving the floor. Um, That would be like the next progression up from a split squat. And then if we're looking at like the Bulgarian split squat, again, like all these fall within this category of lunge. So if we're looking at the movement patterns, the squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull, they are all very similar variations. 
I would say that as far as um, the level of difficulty goes or progression, it would probably start with a split squat. So like when I was training people in person, I know I worked with a lot more um, pure beginners or people that hadn't strength trained in years. Our typical first like unilateral or single leg movement would be a split squat variation. Um, again, with the back foot level to the front foot, both feet are planted on the floor, but we're not moving because it requires less balance. Then we go into something like a walking lunge or a verse lunge, and then we progress to a single leg, like a Bulgarian split squat, right? Where the rear foot is elevated, which in this case is going to take a lot of that rear leg out of the movement. So then here we're looking at like, this is more truly a single leg movement. So Really, they all fall in the same category. They're all very similar. Of course, our intent, we can shift to like, okay, I'm going to make this more quad dominant, more glute dominant, all very similar movements, just varying degrees of difficulty. All right, next question we had, what's your go-to breakfast? All right, so when I am cutting, my go-to breakfast is... Greek yogurt, I will do one and a half cups of Greek yogurt, one scoop of chocolate whey protein, and I will mix a cup of berries in there. It's fire. This is so good. But the dope thing about this is I use non-fat plain Greek yogurt. Um, so basically this is about 300, let's see how many calories is that? I believe it ends up being something like 350 calories but you get like 70 grams of protein out of this. And this is something all my fat loss clients that need to bump their protein. This is something that I push so many of them to do because it's such an easy way for very few calories to get a ton of protein. Again, you can easily get 50 to 70 grams of protein here. Plus this lean protein is very satiating. Plus if we throw some fruit in there with the berries, you were getting some antioxidants plus a bit of fiber. So again, this is going to be very filling, but for very low calories. So that's typically my go-to breakfast right now. I'm in a building phase. We're pushing calories quite a bit. So I'm actually doing a smoothie, um, which is actually very similar to that. But just in smoothie form, I'll also throw in an avocado, some greens. I'll often throw a banana or a packet of oatmeal in there as well. Again, just because I need more calories and no lie, it's a bit more of a challenge than I'm used to. So liquid calories in that case makes sense. But for someone that's dieting, the solid option definitely makes more sense because that will digest slower. That'll keep you full longer, which is the idea with all your food or the goal with all your food when you are dieting. All right, next question. I am working with a new nutrition client, widow, 71 years old, doesn't like to cook, vegetarian, but eats a little fish. What would you likely set her protein goal at? I'm going to suggest a plant-based protein shake, but it will be hard for her to get an adequate amount. And her carb intake is, of course, high. She loves cereal. All right. So in a situation like this, so basically it sounds like she's following or she's open to a pescatarian diet, or I believe this is actually categorized as, well, there's a couple different categories here. So first and foremost, I would talk through like what has her potentially following the vegetarian diet? The reality is past the age of 65, your protein needs are actually going to increase because your body is less efficient at making use of protein. 
So by eating less protein, she's putting herself at a higher risk of muscle atrophy and in turn like balance issues following following an injury in herself. Basic things like that that we definitely want to make sure she avoids as she continues to get older. So if she's doing a vegetarian diet strictly for health, I would focus really on first and foremost like education around this. Um because really for her like under eating protein is going to be one of the least healthy things that she should do which i'm guessing is the struggle for her right now so from there then we can dive into okay what protein sources again like she eats a bit of fish i would really explore like what else is she good to eat so it sounds like again she's okay with a pescatarian diet Often pescatarians, which is this is technically class or pescatarians will typically eat like dairy and eggs as well. I think that's actually classified as like ovo lacto pescatarian or something along those lines. But basically, if this is the case, this opens up a whole new world of opportunity. So first and foremost, like educate her on why more protein is going to be so important for her. Explore what protein options like what animal protein sources she is willing to eat like hey are you okay to do a whey protein shake how do you feel about greek yogurt or cottage cheese um how do you feel about all these different fish and from there if you can what i would do is literally look through um her diary identify the lowest protein meals of the day and start there and like for her a good rule of thumb would be at least getting her up to around 0.6 to 0.8 grams per pound of body weight. I'm guessing because this is one of my former clients who I know also coaches people through training. So I'm guessing she's training as well. Like even if you can get her up to around that one gram per pound of body weight mark, that would be excellent. Again, she's going to need plenty of protein, but you want to start somewhere that's manageable for her. So I would first and foremost, look at her current protein intake because I've found if we, like say she needs 130 grams of protein and she's currently at 40. Bumping from 40 to 130 is going to be pretty overwhelming for her. So definitely you want to ease into it. So if she's consistently eating around 40 grams of protein, I would start by bumping it to 65. And we're just going to over time increase this more and more as she gets better. Once you bump that, then look through her nutrition diary. This is something that I do for my online clients all the time. Identify which meal of her day is the lowest in protein right now. That's kind of your quote unquote low hanging fruit. So, okay, we see that breakfast is relatively low on protein. From the protein sources that I know you're good to work in, let's add in like, are you okay to add a Greek yogurt cup here? Okay, dope. Now all of a sudden you're getting another 20 grams here. We do the same thing for lunch, same thing for dinner. Um, And that's really how I would go about that. Again, like the protein recommendations, if she's eating a lot less, again, if she's eating a lot less animal-based protein sources and almost exclusively plant-based protein sources, um, the bioavailability of said foods is going to be a lot worse. So I would really talk through like her reasoning behind this diet in the first place. Now that said, if it's for ethical reasons, perfect. Um, that's perfectly fine. And I wouldn't, I would never like push her to follow a different diet. I would make sure you educate her, let her make her own decisions. But um, from the sounds of it, it's likely something that she's doing strictly because she's heard it's healthier rather than like for um, moral reasons or anything like that. And that's really how I would go about that. Um, Yeah, I think that's all I have on that. All right, final question. What apps do you use to keep track of your online client's progress? 
All right, so a lot of what I do, all of what I do with my online clients is within either Google Sheets or True Coach. So as far as my clients' daily metrics outside of anything related to their training, so True Coach is where my clients, basically this is the app that you get when you start training and nutrition coaching with me. Um, this is where I build out your programs. You see your weekly progressions. There's exercise videos for every single movement. I write tons of cues in there. Um, and you can also track your weights across the entire time within the app. So let's say you back squat for three sets. You track your weights 16 weeks from now when you're back squatting again, and hopefully you've looked at this more than just like once every 16 weeks, but you can look back on your history and see like your sets, reps, weights for from every single time you back squatted. It's dope. So that's where I track that data. That's where I look to make sure my clients are progressing week to week as far as their training goes and really that they're pushing themselves. And also this is where clients drop form videos. True Coach is dope. If you're a coach yourself, I can't recommend enough that you hop on board the True Coach train. Um, but from there, then everything else that I track with my clients is within Google Sheets. So I have my metric tracker that I build out for online clients where we track your macros, we track your daily steps, we track your weight at least three times a week, we track your sleep, hunger, energy levels, training performance, recovery. And really the thing I love about this, the reason I use Google Sheets is because it's not a software that I'm aware of that's as customizable as Google Sheets is. So like if you've really been struggling with sleep because you're struggling to deal with stress and we identify, okay, one thing that's really helped me in the past is 10 minutes of reading every night. Okay, I'm gonna put that shit in your tracker. I'm gonna hold you super accountable to doing this so we can help your sleep, which can help your fat loss and your overall results from this program. So that's the dope thing about the tracker is I customize it so much to each online client. This is also where we track your body measurements every single week, your progress pictures monthly. There's a ton of data in there. It's beautiful, the one I've created, um, and really something I pulled a lot of different pieces from different coaches that I worked with, like different pieces that I liked, and created my own. That said, I have a whole YouTube video that breaks down like how I built out my metric tracker, um, how you can build out your own. I will link that in the show notes. But again, for me, for my online clients, it's True Coach and Google Sheets exclusively. All right, guys, and that is all I have for you today. Thank you for tuning in.